Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to talk about a giant subject today, but in a, in a new way, at least, at least for me in a new way, and that's um, the heart. So, so let me just try to introduce the idea this way. Imagine... Imagine it's, it's Saturday night and you, you're, like, you're, you're ready to go out on the town. You want to do something fun. You want to do something exciting. And it's sort of like, where's the action? Where's the action? So you know someone who knows the city and they tell you, oh, there's a club downtown. And it's like, anything can happen at this place. And you're like, anything can happen? Like, what do you mean? Well, you could meet a supermodel. You could meet your wife. You could meet your next business partner. You could make a new best friend. That's like, it's, it's happening there. Like possibilities, all sorts of possibilities. And you're like, wow, that's, and it's all located in that like one place. I just go there and then I'm entering into like anything can happen town. It's like, yeah. So, so to the best of my ability right now, anyway, that is the heart of a person. That, that club, that club basically, is going on 24-7 in your heart. Now, I have, to, I have to be careful when I say in your heart, because in your heart in English is a phrase which often means not in reality. Like, in my, like I, I wasn't, you know, I'm not going to be there in spirit, I'll be there. You know what that translates as? I'm not going to be there. <laughs> right? In my heart I wanted to do it, which means... I didn't really want to do it, you know? I mean, I'm sorry to be cynical, but, but I, what I'm saying is something actually much more deeper than that. What I'm saying is that, no, this actually is going on in your chest right now. Like, in actuality, in your chest. There's this realm of possibility that's going on. So, so we're just scratching the surface right now. I, I really want to try to explain this. You see, someone came to the Katskarebi and asked, and, 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 and he, said, he said the following. He said, I, I, can, I can only tell you what not to do. I can't tell you what to do. It's very, it's, that's, extra, that's an extraordinary statement. See, why, why can't the Rebbe tell him, why, why did the Kutzker Rebbe feel as though he couldn't tell him what to do? Because the heart of a person contains the potential of a person and all of the X factors of life. See, life, you don't know where life is leading. Like, let me, let me, let me, let me give you a good story. I actually was on a, um, a panel at a comic book convention a few years ago and like there were about maybe, I don't know, like eight people in the audience. It was like, I think there were more people on the panel than were in the audience. And everyone in the audience was like, just about dressed as a superhero. It was like a really, really interesting scene. And they got up to me, it was about like, we were trying to define what's a hero and heroes in faith, I think was the name of the panel. And I was like the last person on the panel, like I was like, the, I don't know, whatever. And they said, okay, What's, what's a hero? And 
I don't know what made me say this, but I said, I told them, the people in the audience, I don't think any of them were Jewish, by the way. I said, I want to tell you a Hasidic story about the Sanzer Rebbe. <laughs> so this is the story I told them, okay? I said that the Sanzer Rebbe said that he was by a window, right? He, he saw one of his Hasidim, one of his followers walking by, and he waved him over. And he says to him, if you saw like a bag of money, like a bag of gold in the street, what would you do? And the, the man says, you know, I would, I, would, I would pick it up and I would find out who it belongs to and I would return it to the person. And he says to the person, fool, and sends him away. Then he sees another one of his followers and he calls him over and he, say, he asks him the same question. If you saw a bag of money, you know, just kind of sitting there, like, what would you do? He says, Rebbe, I'm very embarrassed to tell you, but finances for me are very tight right now. And if I saw the money, I, I, I would look around, and if no one was there, I would probably keep the money. And he says to him, wicked! And he sends him away, right? And then he sees another follower, and he, he waves him over, and he asks him the same question. Find a bag of money, what would you do? He says, Rebbe, I would like to think that I would do the right thing, but I don't know till I get there. And he says, that's the right answer. So I told that story at the comic book convention. <laughs> that's the end of the story. And they broke out in applause. <laughs> and I said, that's a hero. A person who's in the situation at the time and in the moment chooses to do the right thing. Right? But, but why am I telling you this story now? Because we don't really know what we're going to do. Because the heart really is this, like, this fountain. It's this fountain of possibilities that are like shooting up all of the time. You know, you know, we should be spared from, from, these, uh, from these situations, but um, th there were two interest, well, too tragic, too heroic. I, I don't want to even put words on it. In, these, in this, uh, two, two mass shootings that took place very recently, and two great heroes in, in both of these shootings. And in, in, one, in one instance, a person, and I'm not saying one is better than the other, I'm just telling you different reactions. How, no one knows how they're going to react in a situation. One person ran toward the gunman, trying to disable him, and that person was shot and killed. The other person saw someone in the line of fire and ran in front of that person to take the, the bullet. And they were shot and killed. It's, I don't know, just for some reason, I was just like, wow, you know, here's someone in the moment they see a gun, what do you do? Do you run to try to stop the gunman? Do you run to stop a bullet so that someone else doesn't die? Do, do you just stand there? Do you run in the opposite direction? Honestly, we could speculate, but I don't think any of us would know the answer to this unless we were in this situation. Um, this is the heart. This is the heart. The heart is really this, this churning factory of, of possibilities. Right? But, but, it's, but it's deeper than, than all this even. Because, you see, the heart is the one that's really, for the most part, controlling the mind. And... Uh, 
That's a, that's a big secret. If you if you don't know that, then you don't understand people, and you can be the biggest intellectual in the world, and really you don't know much if you don't know that. Because people will find a way to come up with a very intellectual platform, but it's honestly based on what they feel. So you see, the thoughts are coming after the emotion. You know, you have some very smart people saying some very dumb stuff because they don't feel it. See, like Reb Shlomo said one time, you know, like you have people who are, quote unquote, just, they're just doing crazy stuff, basically. Like, bad stuff is what I mean. And why? Because they, 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 they never were touched. I mean, meaning to say their heart was never opened. That, that, that's the reason. So, so if, you, if, you want to, if you want to reach a person, you have to talk to their heart. And their heart has to be open. Because that is the gateway to everything. That's the gateway to everything. That's how we're built. That's how, that's how we're constructed. Okay, so, so I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. The Kutzker Rebbe says that better than looking up into the, to the heavens and wondering what's going on in the heavens, better sh- someone should look into their own heart and try to figure out what's going on there. You see, if you... We have a very big concept, and Hasidus talks about it especially, which is, they use the term birur. Birur means, you'll, you'll see it in all the holy books, like the deep books. Birur means clarification. Okay? And the whole idea, when you're looking into your heart, which is, again, just this, like, this factory, this swirling portal of, of, of different ideas and desires and newness and everything like this, is to look into your heart and try to clarify what is in your heart. This is really the work of a person during their lifetime in this world. You clarify, okay, I feel this way. Okay, very good. Like, like there's some people who want to cut your wings off, right? They'll, they'll tell you, you say, I feel this way. And then you, they'll say, don't feel this way. <laughs> you didn't help me. You didn't help me. I'm telling you I feel this way. Here's a better question. Why do you feel this way? Right? Does it, and then a person has to ask themselves, does it make sense that I feel this way? Is that really based on anything? You know, my, my father was a psychologist. He was practiced, practicing psychologist for 50 years. And I remember he told me, like, an old joke. So the joke is, you know what um, kreplach are? Kreplach, that's like a classic Jewish food. It's basically like a, like a wonton. So every, every culture has them. They call them different things. So Jews call them kreplach, right? So it's like a little doughy square with some meat in the middle. That's, that's what it is. Okay. So there's this boy, this little boy, who has this panic attacks when he contemplates kreplach. <laughs> so his mother takes him to a psychologist, and the psychologist says, look, if you actually break it down rationally, then he'll see that there's nothing to be afraid of. So she takes him to the store, and she says, look, I'm, I'm buying flour, 
right? Everything okay? Yeah? Okay, we're, we're getting some of the ingredients. We're getting some meat. She takes him to the kitchen. She rolls the dough. She puts the meat in the middle. She, she folds one corner. She says, everything okay? <laughs> folds another corner. She folds the third corner. Everything's okay. She folds the fourth corner. He goes, Kreplach! <laughs> <laughs> so, you have some fears which are basically just completely irrational. <laughs> right? But you have to revisit the basis of the fear, and then once you revisit the, fa- the basis of the fear, you can begin to ask yourself some very practical questions. Like, like maybe you have some, like a lot of people, and, and I use this term very respectfully, because when we normally use it, we're talking about really bad cases of it. And I'm talking about post-traumatic stress syndrome, right? Like, normally speaking, we're talking about, like, soldiers, you know, who have had horrible experiences from, from war zones, right? But the reality is, is that most of us live with post-traumatic stress on just much lower levels, but it's no less post-traumatic stress, meaning to say that we had some very bad experience and it still kind of haunts us and it still kind of influences our present day behavior, right? But what we need to do is to ask ourselves, you get to the root of it. Okay, well, I got, you know what? I got ripped off by that person and so I can't trust anyone anymore. Okay, well, that's a pretty lousy way to go through the rest of your life. I, I... I'm validating you. I get that you got ripped off. I get that that person probably ruined your life in large part. I get it. But who is this person? Is this person ruining your life? (laughs) Did you do due diligence in terms of checking up on this new person in a serious way? Yes. Did they pass those, that investigation? Yes. Okay. So then what does one thing have to do with the other? In other words, we can't live out our lives in fear of an old situation. We can't, we can't do that to ourselves because otherwise we're just, we're cutting off our own wings at that point. So a person has to think, a person has to think this is all part of the process of bearer, clarification. Okay, I feel this way. Okay, but why do I feel this way? Is it appropriate for me to feel this way in this present situation? Right? Like at a certain point, I had to say to myself, I got to play it safe, I got to play it safe, I got to play it safe, I got to play it safe. But now I'm like, like life might be passing me by at this point. (laughs) At this point, I might have to actually make a move. Right? So... So these are things, when the Kutzka Rebbe says, I can tell you what not to do, I can't tell you what to do. This is like the future. So, so let, me, let me approach this whole subject from, a, from a, another angle, okay? We just had Pesach. Pesach is the holiday of freedom. And after Pesach, we read this year, we read Parsha's Achremos. Achremos contains the whole holiday of Yom Kippur. So that's very interesting because on the calendar, Pesach, Yom Kippur is many months away from Pesach. 
right? And yet, the, the way that it's sort of like working out in terms of our calendar, we're going from Pesach right into Achremos, because that's the Torah portion right after Pesach, and that's talking about Yom Kippur. So let's get a little bit deeper. What I'm asking you is, why is Pe- what's the connection between Pesach and Yom Kippur? And I'll tell you something even more way out, at least outside of Israel, just the way it fell out. We read Achremos eight separate times. <laughs> Not the whole Parsha. Eight times, and then Pesach kept on getting, stopping it. We kept on going back to Achremos eight times we read it. That's unique in the, in the whole year. Not only that, but we read Achremos. Again, when you hear Achremos, hear Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, of course, is the day where all of our sins are forgiven. So we have basically Yom Kippur before Pesach, then we had Yom Kippur during Pesach, then we had Yom Kippur after Pesach. Why? So I want to I wanna give an answer. You see, you, you, know what the, you know what the scary part of freedom is? You can make a mistake. So, okay, now I'm free. But now I'm free to do what? really blow it, maybe. (laughs) That's fairly terrifying. And that can induce paralysis so that I don't want to make a move. But if I know there's forgiveness, if I know there's forgiveness, if I know after after Pesach, which is freedom, if I know right afterwards, God is telling me you're free, and I understand that as a condition of your freedom... You can make mistakes, but I'm telling you, there's Yom Kippur, I'm a forgiving God, then I can move on, and I'm emboldened, and I'm empowered to move on and to make choices and to get out of my paralysis. It's very important. It's very important. Because we have to do something. You see, this is again going back to what the Katskarebi says. I can tell you what not to do, but I can't tell you what to do. Because that's already all the possibilities in your heart. Like, you have to remember, one of the great pieces of Torah is, it says in the Torah itself, God says, let us create man. So everyone wants to know, who is God talking to? Human beings hadn't been created yet. So Rabbi Tversky says that God was talking to man. In other words, God said to human beings, let us do it together. Like this is going to be a joint, a joint process where your creation of self is going to be a partnership with me. And it's going to be ongoing throughout your life. See, one of the things, and now we're getting much deeper, one of the things I heard in the name of the Ari is that in the Garden of Eden, what got damaged was, you see, people have two, we we have two impulses, two main um, engines, if you will. And in the Psalms, it's put like this, sur meirah va'asei tov. That means refrain from doing bad and do good. In other words, one impulse that we have is to control ourselves, to hold ourselves back from doing wrongdoing. The other impulse that we have is to be actively engaged with the world and to do good, right? I mean, we're really talking about stripping things down to their 
core level right now, right? Which is the amazing thing about studying Torah. I mean, it just plums the depths and it just strips everything down further, 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 further into its most basic elements so that you can really tap into the core of your being so that you can really access life and move forward in life. So, sur meirah, refrain from bad, va'asetob, and do good. Now, I heard someone, someone was visiting from Israel, I, I shared that with, and he heard and he came up to me and he said a Torah, he said in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, right, or a student of the Baal Shem Tov, I'm, I'm not sure. He, he said that the interpret, one interpretation is like this, sur meirah va'asetob, in other words, how do I refrain from doing bad? By doing a lot of good. In other words, if I'm just doing good, I'm just doing do, I'm just doing good, then for sure I'm not doing bad. You know, see, see do you understand the Chiddush, the, the, the novel insight here, is that he's not seeing it as two separate ideas. It's one idea. How do I refrain from doing bad? By doing good. Right? Now with that in mind, you know, all the Rebbes, they're all kind of approaching the same ideas from, from, from different places. The Kotzka Rebbe, again, says, I don't want Hasidim who don't sin. I want Hasidim who are too busy to sin. That's strong. You know, because if you're kind of just sitting around in your life, and I'm talking that it can be for a few minutes, <laughs> you're asking for trouble. You're asking for trouble. You have to be engaged. You have to be. You have to be. You have to be doing something. Okay. So now I want to. I want to go back to an earlier teacher teaching that we mentioned, also from the Kutzker Rebbe. This idea that instead of looking up into the heavens and wondering what's going on up there, better a person should look into their own self, right? Into their own heart. Now, this is awesome. And I want you to just try to remember everything that I've been saying up until now. Remember, we started off by saying, like, if you wanted to go to, like, where's all the action happening in the city, right? Remember we were talking about that? Oh, it's all going there. All the possibilities are going there. I'm telling you, that's your heart right now. Kutzkarebi says, instead of looking up into the heavens, look down into your own self. We talked about Bureau clarifying what's going on in your heart, because the heart ultimately is controlling the mind. But now I want to put it all together for you in one simple visual. The ladder to heaven goes through the heart. The la- if you want to climb to the heavens, it goes through the heart. And we're talking about, we're defining this word heart, that the ladder to heaven goes through the heart. We're defining the heart now as this chaotic fountain of possibilities that need to be clarified. We're not just talking about the heart as, oh, the ladder to heaven is through love. if, if you're listening to me at all, and if you're following me at all, you're understanding I'm saying like 25 times more than that right now. A person's heart, you can't allow your heart to be a riot zone. If your heart is a riot zone, then you are sending like 10 different mixed messages to your brain, 
and you don't even know what you're doing anymore. You're heading in this direction, you're heading in that direction, and you don't know why you're doing this, and you don't know why you're doing that. You know, one of the things about treatment, about recovery, and, you know, unfortunately today people are addicted to A through Z, right? But I'm talking about really any recovery right now. And I so respect this, I so admire this, is people who are real addicts know that if I do it one more time, I'm finished. There is no casual usage. I do it one more time, I'm finished. I do it one more time, I'm back to doing it every day or multiple times a day. So I can't do it at all. Because that is the reality. It's a one-to-one correspondence. I do it at all, I'm finished. But do you know that type of clarity only comes by controlling your heart, only by knowing your heart. Like to, to live that, someone has really clarified their heart because when they have that desire to use, whatever it is, and then they say in their heart, and they understand in their heart, but wait a second, if I use at all, then I'm giving myself a lifetime of something that I don't want. Then they go, okay, well then I can't do it. Like that, the simplicity of those thoughts and how they go together is the example of someone who has clarified their heart. Because if that, if that conversation that I just related to you took place in a person's mind, let me tell you how it would go. Yeah, but I'm different. <laughs> but just this once. But I won't, but I, I won't, uh, 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 and a million PSs. And the next thing I know, I'm so confused that I just lunge for it. Because that's my heart talking at that moment. The conversation that takes place in the heart and the conversation that takes place in a person's mind are two different conversations. Because you're getting down to your root clarity. The Ramchal begins... The Path of the Just, which is, you know, one of the all-time greatest Jewish books. And, you know, it's so funny because it's like maybe, I don't know, maybe an, an inch thick, this book. And it's like one of the, you know, eternal sources of wisdom. It says the Vilna Gon kept the Path of the Just on his desk. The Vilna Gon was, you know, one of the greatest geniuses in human history. He kept this book on his desk all the time. He said there wasn't one extra word in the entire book. And this book begins by the Ramchal, the author, with these words saying, everything in this book you already know. (laughs) That's how the book begins. He says, but a person has to be reminded of what they know constantly. This is one of the mysteries of life. That I can know something one moment, and then I don't know it the next moment or that I know something one moment, and then I act against my own best interests the next moment. But can I tell you why people do that? Because they haven't clarified their heart. Because they don't understand one more drink, and I'm, and I'm done. I'm finished. That, that's clarity. That's clarity. But there are a number of other um, areas that a person has to clarify their heart in. There's all sorts of things a person has to clarify. We're never going to know anything for sure. 
You just have to understand that. We're never ever going to know anything for sure. After we leave this world, we'll have clarity. The whole point is God made this world as a place where you never know, so that you have to believe and you have to choose. That's the excitement of this world. And if you think about it, it's, it's, it's actually fantastic that there's this realm in creation, unlike any other dimension in creation, where the creatures within that realm don't know for sure what's going on. <laughs> I mean, from the heavenly perspective, it's a total delight when like, they start doing the right things or when they figure things out. It's a delight. The whole universe is not like this. This is a very particular zone of the universe that we inhabit where we get the privilege of not knowing for sure. <laughs> now, most people are like confounded by that. It's like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but can I tell you something? After a while, it gets dull, man choose. <laughs> That's the point. You got to, at a certain point, you got to just choose. Or you make the decision not to choose. And that's also a choice. I'm, I'm going to make the decision not to choose. That's my choice. That's the choice I'm going to make. I'm going to go through life never choosing. And a lot of people do that. But to their great detriment, I think. Because they're not really in touch with what the purpose of this world is and what the purpose of this life is. I'm going to give you an example from, from my profession, okay? So I, I write and produce for television, okay? So, excuse me. It's very hard to um, create a television show that gets on the air. Very, very difficult. And, you know, every field has its own version of very difficult, right? I'm sure in the tech industry, it's very hard to come up with an idea and then sell it, you know, your company for, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Also very difficult. But this is my field, so I'm just going to talk about my field. But, you know, but you'll see what I'm talking about in terms of choices. So let's say, let's say you get an idea for a show and you're fortunate enough to have the proper connections where you can pitch it to a network, right, which is not so simple. And then the network hears the idea and they go, yeah, actually, we like this idea. We're going to order a script. So now you have a, a pilot script, right? Now you have like, hey, that's great news. I got a pilot script. But wait a second. I don't know if I'm going to be able to write it that well. Okay, so now all of a sudden my good news turned to like a worry or concern. Before I had nothing. Now they're writing me a check. But all of a sudden now I don't know if it's going to be any good. All right, now I write this script. And Baruch Hashem, thank God, they love it. They actually want to shoot this script, right? Which means that it's already, they like it more than dozens of other scripts that came in. Oh, yeah, but you know what? Right now, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to get any good actors or if the pilot's going to come out well. Oh, wow, so I just got this great news, right? They're going to make a pilot, but I don't know if it's going to come out well. Actually, I wanted this director. He was too busy. I'm going to go with this guy. I don't know if he's any good. All right, so you make the pilot, right? And they want to order episodes, right? Wow. But you know what? What time slot are they going to give me? And are they going to advertise the show at all? There's so many shows on now. There's more scripted shows on now. Hundreds of shows. 
It could easily get lost. If they don't support it with billboards and everything like that, no one's even going to know about it, and then it's going to get canceled. Wait a second. I just got a show on the air, but now all of a sudden I'm just worried that no one's going to watch it and no one's going to care and the network's not going to support it. So now it's like, uh, so what good is it? <laughs> I'm going to have to do all this work. No one's going to see it. It may not even come out well anyway. Right? Well, it gets on, but now are they going to order another season? <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to have to look for a new job. <laughs> so I'm worrying about, like, what are the ratings every week? And this, that, and the other thing. I could actually go on. <laughs> but I'll spare you. But what I'm trying to tell you, because this is, this is actually real life. People go through, I mean, not all that many people, but there are a good amount of people who go through exactly what I've just mapped out for you. And what I'm trying to do is give you one case in point, and everyone can apply it to their own lives and do their own version of what I just said. But what I'm trying to show you is this. There's always going to be a choice whether you celebrate the good news or whether you just embrace the uncertainty and just live in the uncertainty and the anxiety. And that is your choice. You are making a decision at that moment when the worry starts. And again, a person, this is part of beer. This is part of clarifying the heart. This is part of actually being like a real person. Is when you feel that anxiety coming, you have to ask yourself, what am I, what cho- what am I choosing to embrace at this moment? The good news? Because I've just received wonderful news? Or am I choosing to embrace at this moment anxiety? Because I am making a choice right now. I am making a choice right now. I remember one time I was like, I don't know what was going on with me, but I was starting to like, get sad about something. I have no idea what it was. But I sort of felt like this kind of depression starting to pull me down. And... This was a moment, and I know depression is, by the way, a very complicated word, like, because a lot of it is chemically induced and things like that. So I'm not, I'm not talking about that type of depression. I'm talking about just a sadness, okay? But I started to feel this sadness come over me. And there was, I, it was, I was on top of it. And there was one moment where I realized I can either give in to the sadness or I could fight the sadness, <laughs> Like a very rare moment where I really saw with clarity actually what was going on in my heart. And I said to myself, David, right now there is a pork chop around your neck. (laughs) If you give in to sadness, you are literally eating this pork chop right now. Because there is no difference. There is no difference between those two things. And I said, I, I... I can't do that. And so I made a choice not to go in that direction. So you see, through the heart, through the portal of the heart, there are two things that are going on because it's a two-way portal. You see, by clarifying what's going on in your heart, you can climb through on this ladder that will lead you to the heavens. Because 
as you clarify your emotions and the possibilities, you start to go and you start to make choices. Your life starts to go into new ways and your, your life goes into new directions and you go higher and higher. But there's another dynamic too, which is that basically the heavens are coming down into your heart. So there's new possibilities that are happening all the time and fresh, fresh things. Like it says, you know, it says there's nothing new under the sun, which means basically the same stories are being played out throughout history. Okay? But the rabbis say, yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. But above the sun? (laughs) Above the sun, there's a lot of new stuff going on. (laughs) So your heart is actually now receiving stuff from above the sun, if you will. If I serve you a gourmet meal on dirty plates, (laughs) it's not going to be so nice. But I serve you a gourmet meal on a clean plate? It's a different experience. There's light coming from above down into your heart. If you make your heart a clean place, through bureau, right? Bureau is like cleaning of the heart, deciding, clarification, organizing. What are my thoughts? What direction do I want to go into? Right? See, I once... Kind of this phrase once came into my mind, which is, are you living life or is life living you? You know the difference? If life is living you, then you're just reacting to your circumstances. You've got a whole, I'm just reacting. I just gotta, I gotta, I gotta take care of this guy and that guy. And, ah. That's just living a reactive life. Living your life means that you're making choices. And you feel safe to make choices. Because you've worked through your post-traumatic stress. Because you've worked through the fact that God is a forgiving God and allows for mistakes. Because he knows that you're going to fix them. And then you can proceed and then you can make progress. Okay. Now I want to continue to talk about the heart, but I want to talk about it in a brand new way. Okay. I want to talk about it on a macro level right now. So the way... The way this works is we're talking about now Jewish history, okay? And we're talking about today, and we're talking about the future, okay? But but it all relates to the heart still. You see, what the heart does is the heart pumps blood to all the limbs of the body. So all the life force is going to the body from the heart. So over the last few decades... The Jewish people have been blessed with something very, very special, which is they, they, they call it this tshuva movement. Basically, this, this return from all different, the four corners of the world, people who didn't even know they were Jewish, right, are, are returning back to Torah. And it's this, it's this amazing reawakening, spiritual reawakening of the Jewish people. That's like very messianic. I mean, it's like really, because... Basically, the, the idea is that there, we're evolving toward this era of perfection, and one of the conditions of reaching this era of perfection, this next stage of just creation, basically, 
is the Jews getting it together, basically. Just re, re, re-understanding why there's a world and what we're here for and what we need to do and things like that. And of course, all through the lens of the Torah. So the question is, when did this tshuva movement, when did this, tshuva means return, when did this return movement start? And people will give you different answers. But, but Reb Shlomo Karlbach says something very beautiful. And, you know, this is maybe even the majority opinion. That the tshuva movement started when, in 1967, during the war, when we reclaimed the Kota, the Holy Wall in Jerusalem, which, of course, is the last remains of the structure of the Beis HaMikdash, of the Holy Temple in, in, in Yerushalayim. The, the Kota actually was an outer wall. It wasn't actually part of the proper structure of the, of the Holy Temple, but nonetheless, it was part of the, the compound, the overall compound. So what he says is something unbelievable. Now, let me just take a couple of steps back for a moment, because again, we're talking about the heart and the heart's relationship with the rest of the body. A person has to understand what is your relationship with the land of Israel? Okay? So a lot of people think that, well, it's my homeland. You know? By the way, you should know that um, Rabbi Wolfson points out something remarkable, which is that the first time, look in the Torah, the first time that God talks to Abraham, the first time God talks to Yitzchak, and the first time God talks to Yaakov, he talks to them about giving them the land of Israel. The very first time to each th- of the three. So, so you have to understand, there you see the centrality of the land of Israel. Okay, That's just one example of it. But I want to go further. Because we have actually a physical relationship with the land of Israel. It's not just a country on the globe and we're a people who like... It's two different ideas. There's the land, and then there's the people, and okay, whatever. It's not that. Just like the healthy person has two arms and two legs and a head, right? Torso. But that's not the entirety of you. You are not fully you unless the land is included in you. Because you are not completely you without the land. The land is an essential element of you, of the makeup of every single Jewish person. It's a very important point. We're going to build on it further, okay? Like, for instance, God tells Abraham, walk the land. You have this physical connection between your feet and the land. That's part of the totality of you, of the completion of you, okay? But it's more than that. It says that prophecy won't return to the Jewish people until certain conditions are met. One of the conditions is that a majority of Jews should be in the land of Israel. Do you understand that? In other words, imagine a plug going into a socket. When the plug goes into the socket, what happens? The light goes on. Your feet are the plug. (laughs) The land is the socket. When the feet are on the land, the plug is in the socket and the light goes on. 
What do we say when the redemption happens? We say that the Jewish people from the four corners of the world are going to return to the land. Do you understand that there's some metaphysical reaction that happens when the Jewish people are standing on the land? Bless you. And then, like, there's a whole nother energy that becomes unleashed in the world. An amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. But we're still not, we're still not there yet. It's again, we're talking about the heart, and we're going to return to the heart in a, in a big point in a moment. Because we have this question, why did the Chuva movement start when we recovered the, the wall? What, 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 why? What was the connection there? You see, you have to understand that there's, there's a very interesting thing in the Torah. What, there's a mitzvah that's given two separate ways. Once it's in Devarim, once it's in from the prophet Yechesko, Ezekiel, okay? And that's, God tells us, each one of us, man and woman, you have to circumcise your heart, right? That's in Devarim. God says, gives us the command, you circumcise your heart. And in Yechesko, God says, I'll circumcise your heart. <laughs> so what do we know from that? Either way, our heart's getting circumcised. <laughs> if we don't do it, God's going to do it. But he wants us to do it. But if we don't do it, God's going to do it. But either way, our heart's getting circumcised. What does that mean, getting circumcised? That means that people's hearts are closed, basically. There's a, like a lock. There's a, a, like a, a layer of skin, if you will. Like wh- wh- whatever it is, like an orla. It's called an orla, like by, by the bris. And, and you have to cut away that aspect which is stopping you from feeling and perceiving, right? That, that covering of the heart is the thing that, in my mind, I understand as the blockage between the head and the heart. In other words, it's not just when we say that your heart is covered over. Don't just picture your heart being covered over. Imagine that that's the blockage between the head and the heart. And so that when you uncover your heart, not only are you feeling now, but now your mind and your heart are working together in consonance. So now we're ready to put all these thoughts together. Again, the heart pumps and it feeds the entire body. What happened when we recovered the wall? When it became the Jewish peoples again? There was an outer blockage which was foreign domination. Right? In the language of the Torah, we, we say, Shibud Machios, right? oppression from other nations. That got, what is the kotel? What is the wall? What is the base of Migdash? That's the heart of the Jewish people. That's trying to pump to the rest of the Jewish people around the world. But what's happening? It's under foreign domination. So it can't get out. It can't reach all the people because it's blocked. All of a sudden, 1967, we come, we liberate the wall, all of a sudden that blockage is removed, all of a sudden the heart of the Jewish people can pump its energy out, its holiness out, its song out to the rest of the Jewish people around the world. And what happens? All of a sudden there's this tshuva movement that the Jewish people haven't seen in hundreds or thousands of years. Do you see it? We became reconnected with our own hearts. 
we became alive again. All of a sudden, like, people were proud to be Jewish again. You know, there, there was... I'll just give you an example. I remember as a little kid telling this joke. I was so happy with this joke because I, you know, I didn't know a lot of jokes as a little kid. How old was I in 67? And I, was, I guess I was five. So I guess I was a little bit older than that, but I was so happy even just to be able to tell a joke. But I remember being so proud to tell this joke, which is that there was a whole squadron, like, I don't know, of, you know, armies from one of the attacking countries that were attacking Israel. And, and they were all defeated. And it was like they, they couldn't get past this one point. And finally, you know, they... Oh, boy, it's been about... 50 years since I told this joke. <laughs> but I remember. So the thing was, is that what they couldn't figure out was like there was, there was only one Jew holding off these thousands of people, right? And finally, one guy saw actually behind what was going on there, and he said, it's a lie! There are two of them! <laughs> So in, in other words, it's, it's the exact same miracle. But just to tell you, the, 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 the heart started pumping again, and we're receiving the light again. So I don't know how to say it, but I'm, I'm telling you, I'm giving you a lot of life right now. I'm giving you a lot of, like, like, like this is, this is, there's a lot of big stuff here. I'm telling you where to look, you know? Like, you know, there's an old joke about a guy who's like a, a drunkard who lost something. And he goes out into the this, this street at night. And there's, he's looking under the nightlight for this thing. And someone says, I'll help you look. Where did you lose it? And he points down the block. I lost it down there. He goes, so why are you looking here? He says, the light's better. <laughs> <laughs> you got to know where to look. Do you understand? If you want to like find something, it's not enough to look. You have to know where to look. I'm telling you where to look. It's all going on in the heart. It's all going on in the heart. You have to get in touch with your emotions and you have to figure out why you're doing what you're doing, whether it's valid to this day. It makes sense that, okay, so look. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of that based on that experience. But if that's no longer your experience, then what are you doing? Get in touch with your emotions. Ask yourself, why are you doing what you're, what you're doing? Get rid of paralysis because we have to act. So just to finish off a previous point, and we're really almost done, but I just want to make sure I'm communicating. What got damaged in the Garden of Eden was we didn't know when to do and when to withhold. In other words, that, that twin dynamic, Sur Merave Asetov, don't do bad and do good, that got damaged. Like most people know, we don't know. Should, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? Should I not do it? I don't know. Like that, that twin engine got thrown off. So, so it's difficult, but, 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 but we have to do. And that's, that's, that's something only you can figure out, right? Again, what the Kutzkarebi said was, I can tell you what not to do, but I can't tell you what to do. 
because that's when you enter the infinite possibilities, right? And that's when a person has to embolden themselves. And I'll just end on this little mushal, this little parable that I heard from Rabbi Tatz, which is about a, a, a truck driver who had to drive a truck across the country. And he had to learn all the different laws and things like that. You know, you know, it's not so simple. You're driving a truck and they're all traffic laws and from state to state, it's complicated. Anyway, this person really does a very good job. He studies all the different laws and he figures it out. And he actually succeeds in transporting the truck from one side of the country to the other side of the country. And he pulls into the, he pulls into the, the station at the end and they open up the back of the truck and he forgot to bring what he was supposed to bring. <laughs> All the things he wasn't supposed to do, he succeeded in not doing. But the things that he was supposed to do, that got lost. And, you know, there, there are stories of people who come to Torah and... They were musicians or they were artists or whatever it is. And then as they get more involved, then they, they, they lose touch with their creativity and they're kind of just concentrating on the various things. And, and that's maybe okay in the very beginning, but then it's not okay anymore. Because we all have these gifts and we have to make sure that we're delivering the goods that, we're, that we were put here to transport. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.